0: Welcome to More Than We Can Chew. I'm Mike Mitchell. I'm going to deal with the plugs up front and keep this intro short because the episode is much longer than usual. But, uh, hey, it's free. Deal with it. So if you like this episode, you can email us at morethanwecanchew at gmail.com. Go ahead and tweet us suggestions for future serious topics at morethanwecanchew, which is morethanwecanchew without the EW. Craig Martin contributes to the blog Culture on the Edge and can be contacted on his website. Both links are on morethanwecanchew.com. Matt Kenney is available on Twitter at TheMattKenney, and I'm at @o_mikemitchell. Oh We'd also love, love, love it if you hit that subscribe button on iTunes and gave us a five-star review in the iTunes store. It gives the show more visibility, and who doesn't like that? Uh, so anyway, this is part two of my talk with Dr. Craig Martin. In the last episode, he told us about how he got interested in studying religion and the Bible, and now he's going to talk to us about getting a PhD and the many, many struggles <laughs> with what happens after that. Uh, enjoy. <laughs> so then you go to do your you go to do your PhD. Yeah, and a, and sorry, what was the what was the thing you were gonna do your dissertation on first? Uh, well, first of all, what is a dissertation?
1: A dissertation. Uh, tell well, me, tell so, me what a dissertation is. So this is what grad school looks like. Um, in the humanities, uh, it's very different in the sciences and stuff, but I think a lot of humanities programs are like this. So you finish your bachelor's mm-hmm. and you go get a master's, and that's right. like two years of coursework, and you either have to write a master's thesis or do some comprehensive exams or both i had to do four comprehensive exams and i wrote a thesis mm-hmm. and what um, was the thesis on uh, a philosopher named jacques derrida and mark twain oh um, <laughs> really I, yeah i have a crush on mark twain i have for a long long time yeah, yeah, yeah. uh I, I think I love him too much to be very critical as a scholar of him. So I don't talk about him right, much. Right. I don't teach him. But, like, I, I'm the sort of, like, I'll, I'll reread Huckleberry Finn or Connecticut Yankee uh-huh. and King Arthur's Court every two or three years. Yeah. Oh, okay, but, cool. So, yeah, I did my master's thesis and did the exams. And then I went on to the Ph.D. where I had to do two more years of coursework. And then I had to do five comprehensive exams. And these are the sorts of exams that, like, for the five comprehensive exams, I took a year to study for them. Like okay. it's, you have to take a six months to a year. Uh, cause there's like a reading list of like 20 to 40 books for each oh, of wow. the uh, okay. five exams. So yeah, it's like a year of your life just preparing for the comps. I got you. After that, you have to write a proposal for what your dissertation is going to be. And once that's approved, then you write your dissertation, which is a book length project. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I think my dissertation was like, I don't know, just a little over 300 pages. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So it's yeah. a big book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> double spaced, <laughs> twelve point oh, okay. font. All right, <laughs> but not yeah, that big. yeah. So yeah, that's that's a dissertation. You have to you have to show a relative mastery of the sources in the subject area. So you know, I had to be familiar with all the all the material on politics and religion that's come out in the last fifty years or whatever. Oh, okay. And also, theoretically speaking, say something unique and new and uh, not and just something. Derivative. I imagine
0: that's very hard to do
1: when there's. Thousands of years (laughs) of religion happening. Uh, uh, In the Bible, Ecclesiastes says uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And I kind of feel that way about like – Everything that everybody says, uh, even the stuff that looks new, is just they're better at repackaging old ideas. Right. <laughs> I don't think that we ever really come up with something new. So it's all about how can you sell it as kind of newish or right. <laughs> I <laughs> um, got gotcha. you. I got a new spin on an old game, sort right, of right, right. sort of thing. So we're
0: gonna play musical chairs, but it's with hats instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. So
1: yeah, I don't uh, I don't think it's hard to do something new. It's all it's just all about how you you have, you have to pretend that it's new while you're doing it. <laughs> 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 you just have a big bold sign behind you going this is totally yeah, new yeah smoke and mirrors <laughs> smoke and mirrors okay
0: <laughs> so you complete your dissertation and then what happens like you graduate and they're like you're a doctor in religion now
1: yeah they give you a a special robe and a hood and Uh and your doctorate and people do a lot of different things some uh, a lot of people want to get professorships so they apply for jobs at universities but they're they're hard to come by because they produce about ten times as many PhDs as there are job openings right so a lot of people end up leaving the field to do something else Uh, I have a lot of friends who ended up in some... Private sector or another. Mm -hmm. Um, And and are they doing religion in the private sector? like totally something different. Okay, (laughs) one person I went to grad school with was interested in like religion and environmentalism. Mm -hmm. Uh, He ended up working for like a conservationist society. So it's like, I mean, it's kind Kind of of connected. Yeah, yeah. but he's certainly he's not he's not writing articles or teaching classes. It's very different. So how many people are in?
0: How many people were in your religion program do you even know or
1: uh do you know them all or? syracuse was pretty small they have like maybe 13 or 15 faculty members uh-huh. uh i mean if you go to a big university they might have as many as 40 or 50 faculty members in a in a area of study like that so ours was small and they when i was there they admitted maybe six or eight new students every year oh wow so yeah it's a pretty small coder yeah, that's very, that, that that's very small. through. so everybody knows everybody For your class and a couple of classes before and a couple of classes after. I see. So obviously you're a professor. You're teaching. I was one of the lucky ones to get a job. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So like what year did you graduate from? Syracuse. From Syracuse. 2007. And when
1: did you find a professorship? Uh, I started here at two thousand and eight. Oh, so,
0: so that's that's pretty quick.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I mean, if you're lucky, you get a job coming straight out. Uh, oh, really? I mean, yeah, uh, having a year gap. I mean, because what are you doing that year? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, do you do you adjunct during that time? Or? I did, so I could keep like so I could show on my resume that there's not a gap. You right. know, I was, I was remaining active. So I taught, I adjuncted at a at a college nearby in Syracuse. Uh-huh. And I actually, I got uh, an administrator's job at Syracuse University for one year. There was a department that I had worked with um, that somebody left and they needed a, an interim position. They hired me for the year. So I was very lucky to, mm-hmm. to have a salary position for, yeah, for yeah. that year. And then you were <clears throat> adjuncting during that time yep. as yep. well. Yep. Yeah, and okay. adjuncting on top of it. But
0: it's funny to me because, like, I would think if it seems so hard to get a professorship that getting one a year out of college
1: is... That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean some people are lucky enough to get a job even before they're finished with their dissertation. Like you can go on the job market before you're done. If it looks like you're soon to be complete. So people get, you know, letters of recommendation that says, yes, Craig will finish his dissertation this year so you can hire him. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I know, uh, I mean, some faculty that we have here at stack, they got their job before they had even finished their program. Oh, okay. That sucks though, because that means that you're teaching full time and And, trying to finish a book at the (laughs) same time. That's rough. But, uh, so yeah, some people get their, their, job before they finish some right after they finish some i know a guy who probably graduated 10 years ago he's still in the job market yeah he's written like three or four books so it's not like he's not doing stuff right right but um the job market is so, just that shitty see and and that's what
0: i'm i think about sometimes like i will just for fun i will go and look at like what what would it take to get a degree in comparative literature or a degree yeah. in like physics or something like that and I look at that stuff and I'm like, this is super hard <laughs> and I could never do it. And then I think the people that are doing it must be so dedicated to it that like that's going to be their life. And I can't imagine what that would be like to then dedicate your your undergrad, four years, plus yeah. your master's, which I'm guessing is two years. Mm-hmm. And then your PhD, which is
1: seven five years uh anywhere from five to ten, oh, wow. depending on how fast you write your dissertation i yeah. was i mean between all three of my programs i was uh it added up to like 11 and a half years oh so, yeah so so yeah, yeah you, more than a decade of your life in college basically yeah and then <sighs>
0: not being able to get a job out of it yeah her. yeah like it seems it seems
1: soul crushing in a way oh yeah yeah there's a. Uh, It's very (laughs) (laughs) soul-crushing. Academia, it's soul-crushing. Yeah, (laughs) in more than one way. (laughs) I was talking to a a friend of mine here at Stack, uh, and she was like, professors are basically both sadists and masochists, right? (laughs) And we're hard on ourselves, and we're hard on everybody else, because our job is to critically analyze everything yeah like i can't go to a movie and enjoy it anymore like i go to a movie and i'm like this is fucking sexist and this (laughs) reinforces american imperialism and yeah yeah yeah. so like i can't even enjoy fucking iron man 3 (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 no
0: it um it's it's funny because i do the same thing as a as as a writer oh yeah yeah i can enjoy things very easily but once i've enjoyed it I then have to criticize it, not criticize it, but analyze it and then be like, all right, how is this working? What's the structure here? How is, how are they, how are they doing this? You
1: you want to pick it apart to see how it works, what works, what doesn't.
0: Did you ever watch heroes when it was on?
1: Uh, Like maybe for the first half of the first season, maybe. Well,
0: there's a, there's a character that opens up people's brains. (laughs) His power is basically like he can figure out how anything works so he he was a watchmaker i don't know if that his power made him develop these great skills that he became a watchmaker but he can basically look at anything know exactly how it works and then be able to do that yeah so his what he ended up doing was becoming the villain of the series because he would open (laughs) up people's brains figure out their power and now he has that power right and I don't want to kill people to figure out what they're, how, they, how they're doing what they're doing. <laughs> That's probably good. I'm glad that you're not a serial killer. But like, <laughs> I want to pick apart things to know exactly yeah. how A and B are working to make me feel C
1: yeah well as a musician i'm doing like every time i go to a a concert i'm like i'm like you know watching the guitarist what what are they doing Mm -hmm. what what are they doing that doesn't work what kind of amplifier does he have right pedals does he have the sound person is fucking this up (laughs) um (laughs) yeah i remember i went to uh Opera or a musical or something like that with my wife, maybe like five or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, about halfway through, I turned to her and I was like, "Man, the sound system is incredible. You can hear." <laughs> and she's like, "There's a sound system? <laughs> like, I have. Yeah. I actually haven't been playing, paying any attention to the musical. I've been, just been thinking about how well the sound system works for the last forty right, minutes. Right. <laughs> I
0: couldn't tell you what the characters' names are. I don't know the story. I've just been focusing on that great
1: sound. <laughs> it was really good." <laughs>
0: <laughs> it almost seems a little sketchy in a way that programs are doing that you know like oh, that yeah. they <laughs> produce 10 times the amount of
1: yeah you know, at, like you
0: know they produce 10 times the amount of phds as there are yeah, there's job. some
1: serious structural problems with how the whole system's set up, absolutely. Mm-hmm. To to address that, um I mean, at Syracuse University, like I said, they they let in like maybe six or eight people every year. Yeah. A few years after I left, I heard that they reduced it. They only admit three or four people a year to, yeah. k- to kind of address that. And I think that some of the more radical faculty were like, you know, what would truly be ethical is for us to close the graduate program altogether. Right. Um, another problem related to that is that a lot of schools. Um, so you know, if you're at a research institution, the professor's. Are spending most of their time doing research They may only teach one class a semester or sometimes even only one class a year so right. who teaches the classes they farm that out to the graduate students to right. teach the classes so it serves their interests as a department to have a lot of graduate students because then you can pass off that work to them right like so, for them to say, "Okay, we're gonna cut the number of graduate students we admit every year," would uh, totally destroy the system they've set up right. um, for themselves. Because it because it seems like a <laughs> I,
0: I'm sure you know twenty years uh, not twenty years ago that's not that long ago but th- you know fifty years ago when this kind of system was being set up because I'm assu- I'm assuming twenty years uh, fifty years ago. There weren't tons of people looking to get PhDs yeah. in religion it, it or really PhDs was, in general.
1: It was really different. People have this, uh, you know, a golden age narrative. Back, right. back when we had the golden age, you know, college students were smart and they knew how to write. Right. And, and I'm like, yeah, um, the college standards could be a lot higher 50 years ago. Um, But, you know, they went and fucked it up by allowing blacks and women to go to college (laughs) now um, or people of low class, right? right. Right. They've ruined it for the rest of us. And I'm like, there's something really sexist and classist about that narrative. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, um, 50 years ago, a lot fewer people went to college. But then the GI Bill after World War II – and the baby boomers, as a generation, mm-hmm. a lot more people went to college. So now college is a huger industry because right more people are going to college now than than did fifty years ago. Yeah, when I was in college, uh, which you know, I've I've it, it was funny
0: the the other day I was saying to someone I've actually been out of college as long as I was in college, and that was like a weird yeah switch in my brain where I was like. Oh shit! Well, that was that's weird. <laughs> and um, like it seems like not that long ago, but at the same time, it's like oh, I've actually, I've been separated from the from college as much as yeah. the time I spent actually no, I, with my face in books or something like that. I get
1: that. Pretty soon, I'm gonna have been married to my wife longer than I lived with my parents when I was a kid. <laughs> that's, that's weird. That's weird. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah. Sorry, I interrupted no, no. you. Yeah. But
0: um. <laughs> It seemed to me like people weren't there to learn. People were there because they had to be there because yeah. it's become a necessity for society now. Yeah, and that to me makes it not a less desirable thing, but when you, <laughs> it's almost like when you make it so that everyone has to have it, it becomes less special now. Yeah, and
1: it, it deflates the value of the degree. Yes. Um, it this happens. Uh, so my my wife is a public school teacher, and in, in a lot of states everybody who is a public school teacher has to get a master's sooner or later right, right. it's it's a uh, written into new york state law uh, i think you have to have it within five years of your job you have to have a master's mm-hmm. well now that everybody have a master's has a master's in education having a master's doesn't mean anything right. anymore so yeah huge uh, it, it totally deflates the value of the degree yeah and, so and it and it may not make sense uh i, I mean I'm not certain that making everybody go to grad school makes them better teachers. Right. Uh, exactly. Uh, that it, now, it's, not, not, now it's not, now it's just a system set up for schools to make money uh, yeah. with enrollment. Yeah.
0: Well, it's, um, <clears throat> to me, it's the same idea with, just getting your bachelor's even like not like I went to school and I got a degree in applied mathematics. I've done nothing with applied mathematics and I don't think it's made me a better person. I don't think it's made me a smarter person. Being interested in the things I was interested in makes me a better, better, smarter person. Not the fact that I have this piece of paper that says I took a bunch of math classes and neither of my parents went to college. And I don't think my dad is any less smart. Like, I go to my dad for everything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I have a degree doesn't mean I think, like, oh, my dad, he doesn't know what he's
1: talking about. Yeah, I... uh I read a book several years ago by an economist who, uh, one of the chapters was on how politicians are like, you know, if we want to improve the economy, we need to get more people to have college degrees or whatever, right? To fix the economy, we're going to have more education. And uh, this guy was like, globally, that's bullshit. Like, uh, if you make everybody go to college, it doesn't really improve the economy because people who drive buses don't need to go to college. It doesn't improve the bus driving system sufficiently for the, everybody to go to college to make it uh, worthwhile um, profit wise or like it doesn't, it doesn't positively affect the GDP for everybody to have a college degree in, in, in what happens two things, I guess like one, it deflates the value of the degrees Two it ends up being just kind of a ranking system where, you know, the people who graduate with A's, Get the elite jobs. People right. who graduate with Cs get the less elite jobs. And well, he's like, "That's a really fucking expensive sorting system. Yeah. You could sort them for a lot cheaper right. than a hundred and fifty thousand dollars." <laughs> right.
0: And and I think even still though it's like like I graduated with a with honors. Like I graduated magna cum laude. That doesn't mean I'm going to get a job over someone that didn't graduate magna cum laude. If they have more experience than I do in the field, like using an example, like if, if I've been editing in television for, you know, three, three or four years, but someone's been editing in television for eight years, they don't get less pay than me because I graduated magna cum laude. Like it's, um, it seems a a ridiculous, I think a lot of
1: it probably has to do with, uh, in America, the type of school you go to more than like, so that, you know, the people who go to Yale or Princeton, there's this aura of, Wow, you went to Princeton or Yale yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that that can relate more so than the grades to rank yeah. people. But and, also, and it I got to say, do with
0: your, it has to do with your network too. Because if you yeah. went to yeah,
1: if you went to Harvard, you have a different network than you'd do you do. Stack, you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: I was actually talking about this not too long ago with the the guy I do the podcast with, Matt. Like we were saying that basically, if you went to Harvard and wrote for the Harvard Lampoon. You can basically get a job in Hollywood yep. at the drop of a hat. Like it's, yep. it seems pretty simple because every every writer on SNL, every head writer
1: for every TV show, ha- wrote on the Harvard Lampoon. I mean, you can be like what a C student at Yale and still end up president of the United <laughs> States of America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, I mean, the, I'm sure that the people at those schools tell themselves, well, the reason why we get those jobs is because we're worth it. We're special. Right. But um, I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical that they're all universally more special than the rest of us. Yeah, it, it
0: does <laughs> it does create this uh, weird dynamic where it's like, oh, just because I went to Manhattan College doesn't mean I'm going to get a better job. That means I'm going to get a worse job than the guy that went to Harvard because he went to Harvard. Yeah. And, and then that creates this vacuum of everyone wanting to go to those schools that get you into places and creates more demand and... Eventually, at, at some point, I feel like it's just going to collapse. Do you that, like it's that it's higher going, education system is going to collapse? Like there, There's just something to me. It's it's it seems like at some point people are going to be like, oh, wait, we don't I don't need if I'm going to be a barista at Starbucks. I don't need to go to college for that bullshit. Like
1: <laughs> or it could turn out that, um you know, colleges hire legislators to tell everybody that people at Starbucks really do need a college education (laughs) to do the job well, and the system keeps going. Right, right. And now now having a college degree or a master's degree is a condition of getting a job at Starbucks. Well, do you – oh, and that's what I wanted to – I actually wanted
0: to say this before. At some point, though, are are we going to create a new degree? Because to me it seems like, all right, you do your bachelor's in four, then you do your master's in two, depending on what you're going for. So that's okay. That's kind of easy to do. Not not easy. I don't want to say easy to do, but that seems like a lot less of a time commitment than getting your Ph.D. in something. Right. And to be a competitive job seeker nowadays, like is it eventually is it going to get to the point where people are going to need their Ph.D.s to get a good job? Because because to me, it seems like a if, if everyone needed their bachelor's. Then everyone needed their masters. The next stop is everyone needs a PhD, I, but that seems unlikely. Yeah, I don't. Because think, I don't think
1: that'll happen. Uh, I, I imagine. But but that but that's what I'm
0: saying. Like it will eventually. There be something where it's like an Uber masters between the PhD <laughs> and the masters could be because could be at some and also another way to make money for accountants
1: <laughs> well i mean in a lot of uh, a lot of industries have certification programs that are not they're not masters programs but they're like that you know where you have to do a year of coursework or whatever mm-hmm. at a university or a or another type of institution i mean so yeah what we get there is kind of this inflation of uh, all these certification programs that people have to get to uh, move up in their you know, career ladder. So that's, that's not adding something in between the master's and PhD, but creating like to the side, these other types of similar programs. But then would it be a thing where it's
0: like, Oh, don't even worry about getting your master's anymore because we just have the certification program. And
1: maybe, I don't know. I think that people work harder and longer (laughs) and are more productive. Uh, like people are way more productive now than we were like 50, 100 years ago with like how much their work on a weekly basis produces but salaries haven't risen comparably Mm -hmm. um so I think that um what we have is just like people are working harder and harder and harder and harder and harder I think it's more likely that instead of saying you have to do two masters they'll probably say you have to uh do your masters in a year for you you know you squeeze it and compress it it um I don't know I can't predict the future but I'm I'm generally (laughs) pessimistic that like like we do work harder our work week we do we are so much more productive in our work week Mm -hmm. productivity is through the roof compared to 100 years ago and still they'll still find a way to make us more productive next year
0: (laughs) so when you when you get a job at a college is there this stipulation that, yes, you will be doing research as you're teaching?
1: It depends on the type of school. So if you're at a, a research university like, um, I don't know, Ohio State University, mm-hmm. you're, it's probably going to be expected that you're going to – publish um articles or books etc at a school like stack where we have a lot less time for teaching because we're or sorry a lot less time for research because we're doing more teaching mm-hmm. i mean so at elite research institutions professors might teach one class a year right right now i'm basically teaching five classes this semester oh wow so and the, how many how many man hours
0: actually like so you have your teaching time which is three hours a week for the for the class. So that's three times five, which is 15 hours. Yeah. But then you also have to think about grading papers and prep. Yeah. So how many man hours goes into teaching five classes?
1: I don't know. Uh, Professors, I think, on average, probably work a lot more than a 40 hour work week. Right. Between everything, I would guess I probably work. 40 to 60 depending mm-hmm. on depending on the week and right how many papers came in that week <laughs> which um, varies depend, yeah. even though i have the same amount of people in the classes yeah <laughs> So, um, I mean, at a school like Stack, you can get tenure without much research at all because okay. they'd know, like, you don't have time for research or teaching. Right, right. And w- instead, what they want to ensure is that you're a good teacher. So they, I think that when you go up for tenure, they evaluate your teaching portfolio more so than they evaluate your research portfolio. Mm-hmm. And
0: is that something you like more or would you rather
1: have more time for research? Uh, I really like teaching. Yeah. I don't like teaching five classes a semester. (laughs) I'd rather it be like three. Uh, I think three would be a little bit more balanced. But, I mean, I'm lucky to have a job at all, so I can't (laughs) complain. Don't fire me. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Stack. (laughs) Um, So... Five classes, that's not standard every semester. That's No, the the, the standard is four classes four. a semester okay. here. I'm, I'm doing like an extra independent study with some advanced students. Oh, um, okay. So it basically amounts to a fifth fifth class. I'm right, with right. them every week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's actually a lot of prep work because it's an advanced class. I'm assigning yeah. stuff that I haven't read since grad school, so <laughs> I have to reread all of it.
0: Right. <laughs> um,
1: just in general, what does your –
0: Because you actually publish a fair amount, don't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I publish more than most people at a school like this.
0: Right. And so I'm assuming you teach a class, you do your prep, you grade a paper, and then you immediately go into, like, research? No, like,
1: uh, I, I basically can't do any research during the semester oh, okay. um, I do it all on like winter break and summer I seriously I might read one academic book a semester right. outside of my teaching prep mm-hmm. uh, I just don't have time for it so then um, come May I have I don't know I suck up books like a vacuum. <laughs> that I have all this energy where I right. haven't been able to read what I want to read and I get to summer and I don't know like I, I think last summer I read like 40 or 50 books oh, wow. over the summer so like I like I inhale mm-hmm. inhale it over the summer and writing's not hard for me. A, a lot of yeah. people writing's just really difficult and I don't know maybe it's cuz I'm a narcissist and I think I have really important things to say <laughs> but I'll, I I uh, I can write really quickly once right. I have the reading done and i figure out what i want to say i can i can maybe write five or ten pages a day yeah because you've you've published i I don't even know how many articles you've
0: published but you've published four books at this point
1: i have uh two edited volumes that i've worked on that i was a co-editor along with other people um and then i have three books that i've written and uh currently working on two other edited volumes and also another book that i'm writing oh what so So you're fucking busy (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i'm not doing any of that right now yeah Uh, yeah. it's all but i can't wait for classes to end i already have a list of things that i want to read over the winter break that will tie into what i want to write next summer
0: Uh uh-huh like all right so we talked about uh the hegemony thing earlier does most of your work go
1: back to that stuff or do you try to focus on different things i do different things yeah um my so my the second book that i wrote was uh, kind of a textbook it was an introduction to the study of religion but from a really critical kind of marxist perspective now
0: i'm just having like a really (laughs) funny
1: image of
0: have you ever seen uh what about bob yeah with uh baby steps yeah (laughs) where he where uh he comes at, where bill murray comes into richard dreyfus's office and says uh richard dreyfus is like i think i have a book here that will help you And he just, where is that book and there's got he's a got wall like 50 <laughs> copies of his book <laughs> of yeah. his own book and he's like oh here it is he, like i'm imagining i'm i'm, I'm, I'm I'm very 100% positive that you don't do this, but you don't uh, bring your, I'm assuming you don't teach your own textbook. No, no, I do. I do. Oh, that's you do? why
1: I, That's why I wrote it. It's because I hated all the textbooks oh, okay. that I thought all the other textbooks sucked ass. So I was oh. like, I'll write my own textbook that I'll say what I want it to say. Oh, that's So a, yeah, yeah, I wrote it specifically so I could use it in yeah. my classes. So you're like,
0: oh, who wrote this oh, Oh, look at that! I wrote this book. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and
1: I think some students are like, "Oh, he's only doing this to make money. He's making us buy his book." But I, I I only make so my textbook. I get twenty three cents for every book that sells. Get the fuck out of here! (laughs) Twenty three cents. That's it. Not even a dollar. No, no. (laughs) Twenty three cents
0: for every copy of that book that sells. And how much do? And when the student sells it back, do they make you give back like seventeen cents? Like. (laughs) no 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 um so yeah how much does the how much does the book cost uh,
1: 30 or 35 bucks. okay I think. so it's not one of those it's not like, crazy expensive no 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 ones. no yeah. it's, it's a little paperback
0: yeah um it's like the <laughs> it's like the elements of religion like the elements of style yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like that big <laughs> no it's a
1: little bit bigger let me see uh, it oh yeah this is this isn't bad at all no I'm actually working on, a, the publisher wants me to revise it and do a second edition. Oh. Uh, and I hate that. I mean, so many publishers, I mean, the reason why they want a second edition, a third edition, a fourth edition is because they don't make money off of used book sales. Right. Once there's a million copies out there, they don't make money off of them anymore. So right. they'll, let's come out with a second edition so everybody has to buy them new again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hate that. I think that it's, that's uh, exploitative of the kind of uh, students are in a vulnerable situation. Yeah, exactly. They don't get to choose the books. It's the professors. But I was really unhappy with how some things... Well, not really unhappy. There's some things that didn't turn out as well as I wanted. Or in teaching the book, I've been like... This just, oh, just doesn't work. Yeah, I can yeah. I can do this better. It'll be more clear. Yeah. It'll be more accessible. Right. So I've told the publisher I'll do I'll do one revision where I kind of fix those things that I think don't work. And right. then in uh, then 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 another I'm, I'm five done. years, I'll find better things. No, <laughs> that no After change. that, they, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> 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 Who publishes it? Uh, well, it, it was Equinox at first, but then um, a, it, it's uh, Rutledge Publishing owns it, owns it now. Now Rutledge. Rutledge. Yeah. They're, they're a major academic publisher, but they, they
0: bought the rights to the book. A critical introduction to the study of religion by Craig Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's,
1: and it's, uh, I mean, I don't, this is oversimplified to say that religion's about social control, but the book's about how religion is part of social control. Right. Uh, it's more nuanced than that. I hope anyway, but, uh, but it's, it's pretty critical, critical of, uh, the kind of social function that religion serves and maintain the status quo in societies and mm-hmm. things like that. Okay. That was a lot for my brain to handle. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah. When I do that, I go, okay, I have to think of something to say, but <laughs> uh, even though I don't really understand what he just said, Kind of, um, <laughs> but uh, okay.
1: Religion so- is a powerful force for maintaining male superiority over women right you know you look at catholicism why why is it that men can be popes but women can't well because because we say so because the bible says blah 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 uh so i mean i think that uh, religious texts and religious traditions are used to justify maintaining domination in certain ways Mm -hmm. i don't think that's all it does but that's what this book's about So I, I wrote this textbook. The book I wrote after that was on um, uh, religion and capitalism, where I argued that a lot of forms of what people call spirituality um, right. look like uh, look like capitalist propaganda to me, and I state right. how I think they're capitalist propaganda. And yeah, uh, so and that's, I, that is that like.
0: When people are like, "I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual." That's part of
1: it. Yeah, I have a right. whole chapter on that kind of rhetoric and what that right. rhetoric does. But and like so one one example, like so, there's uh, um, these books. I read a lot of self help books and like spirituality books for this, <laughs> which I did not particularly enjoy reading them, but I enjoyed trashing them. But, um, <laughs> so one, you of know th- what sucks?
0: The Secret.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. The right. Secret totally sucks. <laughs> uh, I mean, The Secret is uh, poor people. Are Poor because they're not thinking positively enough. Right. Um, and, and a lot of the self help literature is along those lines that um successful people are successful because they deserve it and poor right. people deserve poverty because they are lazy or right. because they're not thinking positively. Or um so one book that I talk about was like a Buddhist approach to the workplace. And it was all like how you can meditate to make yourself right. a more productive worker. Right, right, um, right. and the guy gives advice to like he was like I there was a lady who was a nurse and things were too busy at work. Um, The demands were really, really high. They wouldn't even allow people their legal work breaks. So he said, what you should do is meditate when you're walking from one room, one room to the next between patients to help you calm down and relax. You know, I would be like, Demand your fucking break and get yeah. a lawyer and sue the hospital or whatever. And he's like, "No, you can use Buddhism to be right, a right, harder right. worker." That looks like just capitalist, straight up capitalist propaganda to right. me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that you are responsible for for meeting the needs of the workplace. Right. Uh, the workplace doesn't have to change, even if yeah. it's completely fucking unfair. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so I read these kind of spirituality books and and was trying to analyze what 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 they do. No, I
0: I I think that's really cool. Um, it's always. This thing for me, like, I, I worked in a field that was very time-demanding. Oh, yeah. Uh, your, you know, work week. When I was starting out, it was like your work week is 12 hours a day. No, your, your work day is 12 hours yeah, a day. Yeah, And you get a half hour for lunch. Sometimes you don't even get lunch. Sometimes you have to work way overtime. Yeah. And you have to fall asleep. What's the field? Oh, it was uh, when I was working in uh, television production. Yeah. At, not television production, but when I was working on set. Yeah. As a uh, as a production assistant, you know you can you, when you have a twelve hour when when you get an eleven and a half hour day, you're like, oh my god, this is amazing! <laughs> oh, I get to go home and have like six hours of sleep. This is great. Um,
1: I bet you're on call twenty four seven too.
0: Uh, no, they're no? actually well because when you're a production assistant, you're non union, oh. but basically everyone else is. Oh, uh, okay, and they when you're in the union, you get, you, I mean, you still work a 12 hour day, but you get paid better money if you work overtime. Gotcha. Whereas if you're a production assistant, you don't really, yeah. not all the time. Sometimes good good productions, <clears throat> good sets will pay you their overtime. But sometimes it's like, no, you're getting $120 today. That's it, Yeah. regardless of how long you work or how, how whatever happens on the day. So they want to keep it to 12 hours, definitely. But if they go over you know they're gonna to have to pay some money but what ends up happening is if they go over that means the start time tomorrow is later oh nice because well it's it's good for the people that are in the union because they have a mandatory uh 12 hour rest day right oh, no, not rest day but rest yeah, yeah so if you're off if you if your day starts at nine and the day ends at nine then
1: the next day you can start at nine so I mean that the people who are not in union in the union have to come in and do all the stuff that the people in the union were going to be doing? Well, that's the <laughs> other thing because the jobs are so
0: uh, a specialized hmm. and b unionized. You can't do another person's work right. if yeah. they're if you're not in a union or they're in sense. the union. Um, but what ends up happening anyway is you end up having to come an hour before them and leave an hour after them. So you generally end up working a fourteen hour day. And the whole thing is, like, you have to be almost positive about it all the time. Yeah. Because if they see anything of, like... It's a, it's a thing where it's, like, well, I went through this, so therefore you should have to go yeah, through yeah. this. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kind of hazing. and. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a bit of hazing in a way because if you show any kind of... Like, if you're... The, the thing I read a bunch of times when I... Not when I was in it, but, like, before I was, like, trying to get into it. And, mm-hmm. um... Before i realized it was like total bullshit <laughs> um, it was like if you show any type of weakness yeah you're basically like oh that's the kid that sits down (laughs) yeah (laughs) after having just worked a 10-hour day and he needs to sit he you're you're the guy that sits down now Hmm. uh you're you know you're the weak one because you and they don't want to see that because it's like well i had to do this and i'm a perfectly fine working adult yeah my boyfriend's on heroin and (laughs) that actually uh that actually happened i was um i got a ride one day from this uh, Ad this assistant director who was like above me. Mm-hmm. And she was telling me all of like her relationship problems. <laughs> and I was like, your life sounds
1: awful. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is not something
0: to which I aspire. <laughs> no, it was like, she was like, Oh, it's just so hard too because you know, you just, you just work these long hours. And I was like, I don't know what you're doing right now, but it's yeah. working. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, I, I teach a, a religion and capitalism class, and one of the people that we read is a sociologist from like a hundred years ago named Max Weber, mm-hmm. and uh, Weber in one of his most famous books is like argues that we all work harder, we are all more productive, and that none of us benefit from it. Right. <laughs> that with uh uh it's like the the system just keeps going faster and faster mm-hmm. and faster and faster, and we're working longer days, we're working longer hours, we're more productive, but we're, we're now we're just all locked inside of a system that we can't get out of where we're right. all rushing around um, from place to place. Yeah.
0: because And it's because we let it and, yeah. and
1: no one says, no, this is, we can't yeah. do this. Yeah. Like, and he says his argument, um, which may or may not be correct. His argument that is that it's a product of competition, right? Because you mm-hmm. have to out, compete with right yeah, the next yeah. guy over then the other guy's got to out compete with you then you have to counter and then they have to counter and, and then now then a third guy comes now, in and he's better than all of you now and- all of you are fucking miserable yeah. <laughs> uh for yeah. the same slice of the pie that you started with right yeah
0: exactly <laughs> yeah um, it's playing a rigged game like you can't there's yep. no way to win when there's yeah somebody like counting their money behind you being like <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> Uh, yeah. so yeah, for him, I think it was a, like the development and the and rise of this kind of competition ends up with a lose, lose situation where we're right. all doing more, but none of us are, n- none of us are, our interests are not served by that. Right. Uh, yeah. Which I don't know. A lot of people are more optimistic about our system than that, but I, I tend to be on the pessimistic <laughs> side. That's <laughs> your next book. Pessimism. Yeah. <laughs> An introduction. Yeah. <laughs> this is why work sucks. <laughs> Oh, Oh, man. All right. Um, Well,
0: I think we should wrap up. Yeah. Because we've been talking for almost an hour and a half. Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) I really appreciate you uh, inviting me to do this, man. No. uh, Yeah, it's been great. You were, I think, one of the best interviewers that I've ever had. You made you... uh, Oh, thank you. I found the conversation effortless. (laughs) So, thanks. Thanks for that.
0: It's always... Like, it's not that hard to have a conversation with someone... If A, you're interested in what they're talking
1: about and B, they're interested in what they're talking about. I'm certainly, I'm, I'm amazing. I find myself <laughs> very, very <laughs> exciting. But what shocks me is that you <laughs> would be interested in what I have to say. <laughs> well, if, I mean, how
0: do you, how do you, how are you not interested in when people are trying to fuck you over? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> my, oh. my dad has a, my dad, uh, my, the aforementioned father. Has um, a saying like you can't trust anybody with their hands in your pockets, <laughs> and I feel like that doesn't apply just to money. That applies to basically everything. Like yeah. you, you have to be, wi- you have to call bullshit on some things. Yeah, and that's kind of what you do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, but thank you for coming on because this is this has been very good. I've I've cool. had a very good time. Cool, me too. Thanks so, a lot, man. Yeah, thank you.